Good morning. When my dad passed, it was my job to go through all his preaching and teaching notes and see what we could condense and what we wanted to keep. These were physical files of handwritten and printed notes from the time he was the dean of students at APU in 2000 or in 1980s till the time that he retired in administrative leadership in 2019. And some of you knew my dad, so you know that he spoke a lot. So there were a lot of files to go through from these, these four decades. I didn't like the idea of getting rid of any of them, so I put this off for about a year. And about the time I came back to this assignment, I was uh, discerning a call to Glenn Kirk. And so when I came across a file that was labeled Glenn Kirk 2000, that caught my eye. And it turns out my dad gave a leadership development talk to the staff here at Glenkirk in December of 2000. And I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Throughout my childhood, my dad took me along to things like that. I basically grew up on APU's campus, and I would sit in the back of chapel or classrooms or sometimes local churches' worship centers as my dad did his talk. And often on the drive to this talk, he would say to me something like, you know what, Buggo, this is really cool that you could come. Yeah, by the way, he called me Buggo. <laughs> so, you know what, Buggo, it's great that you could be here. You know, this group, they really get it. And we get to pour into their leaders. Or you know what, you know, they're going through a really difficult time and they need to be reminded of God's love. And at the time, I just thought I was spending time with my dad. I knew he loved his job. I loved being a part of it. And so I didn't really think much of it other than how special it made me feel that he wanted me around. But over the last 10 years or so, I've come to realize what a gift my dad was giving me in those times. Because time and time again, year after year, I got to witness a leader at work. And my dad wasn't perfect, nobody is, but he did have a very unique gifting for leadership. And I got to watch, and every time I tagged along, I got to see a leader who loved what he did, even when it was difficult. Who, who saw his position as not something to lord over others, but a responsibility to encourage and inspire and equip those under his care. And who was the same person at home as he was on the platform. And unbeknownst to me, I was learning in those moments. While I thought I was just tagging along with my dad, in reality, every time I listened to him, my idea of leadership was being formed and my expectation for the behavior of leaders was being formed. So I thought those talks were only for the groups that he was speaking to, but I realize now looking back, even though my dad never said it, he brought me along because they were also for me. We are in a series called Forge in the Furnace, where we are looking at the book of 1 Peter in the Bible and we are learning that Peter teaches that the difficult experiences in our lives can be like a furnace. And our God, the God who can bring good out of anything, light out of dark, life out of death, can use even those hardships, even that furnace, to bring about something new in us, to grow us to spiritual maturity. So far, we've learned that Peter has been writing to these churches in Asia Minor, who are undergoing persecution and will undergo much more of it. And he's encouraging them, Jesus too suffered and God can bring about good even from this, perhaps even blessings. 
And then we come to our passage this morning. And Peter does something a little different because he addresses specific people in this church. And by doing so, he teaches us all something very important. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 7? Hear the word of the Lord. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in this passage, Peter addresses those who are elders. And by addressing elders, he's not merely speaking to those who are older in a congregation, but those who are leading it. We know this because the Christian church from its earliest days used this word that we translate as elders to refer to local to leaders of local groups of believers. We see this in Acts 14 and in Acts 15. So in this passage, Peter's addressing the elders, meaning the leaders of these local groups of Christians. He's giving a leadership development talk, if you will. So what does he say to these leaders? What is it that is so important that he includes in this letter? First, I think he is calling leaders to five specific behaviors. The first one is be like shepherds. Be like shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, shepherd is a very specific image, and it's not necessarily one you would think of if you think of the word leader. But this language of leaders being equated to shepherds and God's people being referred to as sheep, this is found all over our scriptures in both the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, perhaps we think of the famous Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Here, Yahweh is referred to as a shepherd, leading the people of God, the sheep. Or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe we think of Jeremiah 23, where the leaders of God's people are called shepherds, whether they are good ones or bad. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you've done. I will gather the remnant of my flock and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares Yahweh. That one has a little different feel to it. <laughs> in the New Testament, we see the shepherd language in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I willingly give my life down for my sheep. In Acts 20, 17 and 27, Peter, uh, Paul addresses the Ephesian church elders and says, be shepherds of these people as overseers. And even in the earlier in the book of 1 Peter, we've seen some of this language. In chapter two, Peter has referred to the recipients of this letter as wandering sheep. And perhaps this imagery of being a shepherd is, is in Peter's mind, especially because Jesus himself told Peter to shepherd God's people when he said, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. So Peter calls the leaders of the church to be like shepherds. And again, that's a very different image than what we think of when we think of a leader. And back then, perhaps a leader, they would think of an emperor or a commanding officer in an army. Maybe today we might think of a CEO of a company. But Peter calls church leaders to be like shepherds of God's sheep, to watch over them like Jesus watches over all of us, to care for them as Jesus cares for us, to give of themselves as Jesus gave of himself for us. This is a relationship of care, one of keeping the flock together, seeking those who are lost, guiding the flock to green pastures and protecting them from predators. The first behavior Peter calls the church leaders to is to shepherd God's people under their care. But then he turns to how you are to shepherd. The second behavior is not out of obligation, but willingly. Be shepherds of God's flock, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Not because it's something you have to do, not something you do begrudgingly, but something you do because you are willingly choosing it, knowing that there is good and bad that comes from that position. I think this speaks directly to the the context of the people who were receiving this letter because you'll remember they are a hated religious minority in this time. And to be a leader of this kind of group is to have a target on your back because how else to stamp out a religious minority than to attack their leaders? Peter seems to be saying, as leaders of the church, you may have been chosen to do this post by others, but do not take it lightly. There are pluses and minuses here. Be sure you are willingly choosing this. Like Jesus, willingly came and walked with us and and ate with us and showed us how to live as God's people like Jesus gave of himself for us, willingly. So leaders of the church are to shepherds God's people, not begrudgingly, but willingly. And third, not motivated by financial gain, but out of eagerness to serve. You see, those leading the churches at this time, the churches would have looked like smaller groups of people in different houses within an area. And there were leaders of these house churches, as we call them. And the leaders of the house churches would have had control over the church money. And so it would have been very easy for them to skim off the top. And while those in ministry are to be compensated, they are not supposed to see ministry as a means of becoming rich and filling their own pockets. Scholar Karen Jobes points out in her commentary on 1 Peter that financially supporting church leaders 
was a practice that came about early in the church, but so did taking advantage of that privilege. This seems to be saying, don't misappropriate church resources for your own gain. Have an eagerness to give, not an eagerness to get. Again, this is different than our view of leadership in the world. And I would argue at that time, you see the world outside the church, people may aspire to leadership positions specifically for this kind of perk because of the financial gain that it can have, because it's almost expected in many different lines of work to step on those who who is working in your company to get where you need to go. You think of leaders of big businesses who take bonuses while a bunch of their workers are laid off. You can do anything you want for your benefit, step on whoever you need to to get ahead, but leadership in the church looks like serving those you were called to lead, not seeing them as a means to your own financial ends. Leaders of the church are to shepherd God's people, not begrudgingly, but willingly, not motivated by financial gain, but out of eagerness to serve. And fourth, not lording it over others, but as an example. Chapter five opens with this statement, to the elders among you. Interesting that it doesn't say to the elders over you. And I think that's a very purposeful choice. Serving as an elder, a leader of a church, is not a position over others. It's not a position like a king or a queen who would rule over a kingdom, but with a different life and different expectations of them than of everybody else. Leaders in the church are not above the law, so to speak. No leading in the church comes with expectations of conduct, that you would see yourself as a part of the community, not separate from it, as living an example of the kind of life everyone is to live, not not with an exclusion just for yourself. This is reminiscent to me of Jesus's words in Matthew 20 and Luke 22. If you remember that story, some of Jesus's closest disciples ask him for positions of authority in his kingdom. And he tells them, very frustratingly, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over them. Those with authority exercise that authority over them. It will not be so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever wants to be served must be the servant of all. In God's kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In seminary, I learned that most everything a church does within its worship service shows what this church values and believes. An example of this, I think, is something I can see here at Glenkirk. Many churches, Glenkirk included, have the pastors sit with the congregation in worship service. Not every tradition does this, and there's various reasons why, but the pastors and the elders sit with the church so that when the pastor comes up to preach, they come up as a part of the body, called and recognized for certain role and certain gifting, but a part of the body nonetheless. Leaders in the church are not leaders over, but leaders among. So not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That part reminds me of the apostle Paul's words to Peter in his first letter to him. 
where he says that a good minister of Jesus Christ devotes themselves to public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching, and sets an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Being a leader doesn't mean you are exempt from the character expected of us as Jesus followers. There's a high bar set for the people of God and how we live and how we love one another and those who differ from us. And a leader does not get out of any of that. In fact, they're supposed to be an example of that behavior. For this is not your flock anyway. You'll notice in verse two that it says, shepherds, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. This is not any human's flock. This is God's flock. Some are indeed called as shepherds, but people under their care are not considered theirs. They belong to God. The word Peter uses to describe Jesus in this passage is chief shepherd. And in that agrarian society, if a flock of sheep was bigger than one shepherd could tend to, then you'd have a chief shepherd whose flock it was and under shepherds who would be given a portion of the flock and their job was to care for that portion as a chief shepherd would have them do. Here, Peter says that those who serve in the church should do so as under shepherds of Jesus's flock. Not being fooled to think that this is their own, but to do it in a way that Jesus would. So the leaders of a church should shepherd God's people not out of obligation, but willingly, not motivated by financial gain, but an eagerness to serve, not lording it over others, but as an example. And all of this together is just a very different view of leadership than I think even we think of. If you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Tim taught on a passage in 1 Peter about the household, And he said that it seems like on a surface level reading of that passage, that Peter is reinforcing patriarchy within Christian households. But upon further reading, you actually see that Peter is turning patriarchy on its head and breathing mutuality into Christian households. I think Peter's doing something similar here because a surface level reading of this passage would look like, okay, good, leaders are separate from their from those in the church and there's different expectations for them. But a closer reading shows a different picture. The description of an elder as shepherd who willingly self-sacrifices and serves eagerly and by example does not necessarily mesh with the world's view of leadership, then or now. It turns it on its head. Because in the world outside the church, leaders may serve begrudgingly only doing it for the financial benefits that come with those positions or the authority it grants them thinking of themselves above the law or above everyone else. But in the church, leaders are held to a different standard. In fact, the whole definition of a leader is flipped on its head. So hear me out. I don't think this is saying that we shouldn't have leaders in the church I think the church is in need of people with leadership gifts to steer the ship through rough waters. But what I am saying is that leadership in the church is supposed to look different. It's supposed to follow the example set by Jesus because who first gave of himself willingly, who first showed eagerness to serve and humbly came like those he was serving, 
who first set an example for us to follow in, who is the good shepherd of God's people? Jesus. Everything Peter is saying here leads to the same conclusion, the same instruction, be like Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Leadership in the church should not be modeled after what is out there in the world, earthly empires or big business or society, leadership in the church is to look like Jesus. Christ-like leadership is the goal. So why are we spending a whole Sunday morning talking about instructions to leaders? That was the question that I was stuck on as I was preparing this message. And so I walked into Tim's office and I was like, this is a hard passage to preach to a whole church because it's only talking to leaders. And Tim, in his infinite wisdom, just said to me, is it? <laughs> yes, no. Um, so that got me thinking. First Peter was originally a letter. And like all the letters in, that are collected here in the New Testament, it would have been delivered by a fellow minister of the church, possibly Silas, who is greeted in the final greetings in this book. But in a predominantly illiterate society, the person entrusted to deliver the letter would also read it aloud to the different groups of believers that it was written to. And so leaders and lay people alike would have heard this letter read aloud. So while Peter says he's addressing leaders here, in reality, everyone would have heard it not just the leaders. And just like when I was young and my dad took me along to these meetings and talks he would do, and I thought I was simply along for the ride. In reality, I listened to his talks and my, my view of leadership was being formed. And I think the same thing is happening here. Peter says he's addressing the leaders, but in reality, everyone is listening and their ideas of leadership and their expectations for the conduct of their leaders are being formed. Not only is Peter speaking to the leaders, he is speaking to those they would lead. Now everyone has the same standard and he seems to say, this is what you should expect from anyone wanting to be a leader in the church. This is the standard you should hold them accountable to. This is how you know if they are supposed to be leaders at all. Because the world outside the church holds a very different view of leadership. And Peter did not want that infiltrating the church. So Peter turns leadership on its head as he instructs the leaders of the church to be like shepherds, not out of obligation, but willingly, not motivated by financial gain, but in eagerness to serve, not lording it over others, but following the example that Jesus set for us. And he says this not just to the leaders, but to everyone. So this is a lot of instruction to church leaders, but Peter also gives one instruction to those not in leadership positions. And he simply says, submit yourselves to your elders, which probably would have been a given. Maybe not even worth saying at all at that time. So leaders are responsible to their churches. Churches are responsible to their leaders. This is an organic relationship, a two-way street, a give and take. So what is Peter's aim in saying that at all? Our passage this morning is found right in the middle of two passages that speak to the immense persecution that this church is under. 
So in the middle of speaking about persecution, he takes time out to address leaders and those they would lead. For what purpose? In the midst of terrible persecution at the hands of the Roman government, these churches needed one another. With tremendous stress from all sides, they needed this community. They needed to be unified. And highlighting the responsibility of leaders to their people and people's responsibility to their leaders encourages cohesion at a time when all outside stresses seem to threaten to break them apart. Peter writes these instructions to underscore the need for unity, I think, in the church at that time. Unity in Jesus. And then our passage ends with this instruction to everyone. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. No matter who you are, no matter how you serve the church, you are loved and seen and cared for by God which means that everyone else that you interact with at church is also loved and seen and cared for by God. So approach one another with humility. Don't assume you know everything. Don't have arrogance. Work humbly together. Serve one another humbly as fellow image bearers and ones who are loved by God. Then you will be unified and God's favor will be upon you. And I love this imagery of clothing ourselves with humility, like you would get dressed in the morning. This idea of putting on godly characteristics as clothing, this is found elsewhere in the New Testament. You think of Romans 13, putting on the armor of light. You think of uh, Ephesians 6, putting on the armor of God, or Colossians 3, clothing yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and love. This passage fits right in with those others, but with one slight difference. This word used here in 1 Peter 5 for clothing yourselves, that Greek word is only found here. And it really means to tie something on. So biblical scholars think that he is actually referring to tying on of an apron, like a servant's apron or a shepherd's apron. It brings to mind Jesus's own act of humility in serving the disciples when he washed their feet. In John 13, Jesus removes his outer garment, took up a cloth and tied it around himself and washed their feet. He took the posture of humility and acted as a servant would have acted. And he did this, he says, to set an example. For if Jesus, their Lord and teacher, humbled himself, tied on the servant, the apron of a servant and washed their feet, so too should they humble themselves and tie on the apron of a servant and wash each other's feet. If Jesus, our chief shepherd, humbled himself and tied on the apron of a servant and washed disciples' feet, then perhaps we should do so for one another. The church is a relationship of mutual service among those God sees and cares for and loves. As I mentioned before, Peter speaks these instructions to the elders here. 
And the Greek word that's translated as elder is presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian from. And for those of you who don't know, Glenkirk is a Presbyterian church. We are part of the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. And what that means is that we strive to embody this unity that Peter calls all leaders and churches to in this passage. We do not see leadership as a top-down model where the pastors make all the decisions for everyone else. We see leadership as a relationship of accountability and teamwork between all of those who are called to serve and govern in the church. We are an elder-led church. We have ruling elders, those who are elected by the congregation to serve on our board, which we call session. And we have teaching elders, those who are elected by the congregation to serve as pastors. And this is meant to be a partnership between the board and the pastors, leaders who serve different functions from one another, but unified in how they serve the congregation. And I have to say, this is one of the most uh, thorough attempts to apply this passage in reality in a church today that I have seen. I didn't come from the Presbyterian church. And one of the reasons I felt good one of the many reasons I felt good about coming here was this, this polity, this way of church governance, because I believe in the mutuality of the church. And I love that although pastors and elders and deacons and committee members and lay people all serve different functions of the church, we all are called to be a team, a body, unified. And I love that as Presbyterians, we have the opportunity to show the world this different kind of leadership. So how does this apply to us? In three weeks, we have our annual congregational meeting where everyone who's become a covenant partner will come together and vote on those you would like to be elders in your church. In the bulletin, there are names of all those who've been nominated by you and their pictures and short bios are also on the posters in the entryway of the lobby. I highly encourage you to read those, to familiarize yourself with those, to introduce yourself to those people as you see them on Sundays. Because that meeting is not a formality. That meeting is where the rubber meets the road to putting this into practice. We get to show respect and honor to one another as we listen to one another and as all have a voice in how this congregation is led. So that's number one of how it applies. Number two, I didn't know that as I tagged along with my dad all those years, my view of leadership was being formed with every talk. I recognized it later. And I think sometimes that's how God works in our lives, where we go through experiences in life and we don't even realize God is using them to form something in us until we look back and see it. We have learned through 1 Peter that that is especially true about hardships things that feel like a furnace we are walking through. When we're going through it, it feels awful. It feels like this furnace. And when we come out the other end, we look back and we realize we will never be the same. God has used it. So what about you? What is God using or what has God used in your life to form you? What God, what would God might be preparing you for? What is God training you for now? You all have your own expertise that you can bring to this body. You all have your own gifts and perspectives and life experiences. 
And I have no doubt that God will use those things in your life, but I would love it if we could all bring those things here. Every person has something to bring to this church to make it better. What is it that God is forming in you, calling you to serve at this church at this time? So the social context of the people who Peter wrote this letter to is vastly different from our own. The churches he wrote to were facing physical persecution, the burning of their homes, the threat of death. Peter encourages encourages unity amongst them between their leaders as they are serving in a time when they should be united with their people or everything would be lost. This is not the context we find ourselves in today. The American church is not facing persecution like that, but I believe we are facing a crisis as the powers of this world seek to pull our allegiance away from the kingdom of God and onto the passing things of this world. As the powers of this world seek to pull us further and further from one another until we can't even listen to someone who differs from us. And as the powers of this world convince us more and more every year that we do not need one another. So why do we even come together? and many have chosen not to. Our context is different from those Peter originally wrote to, but the standard of Christ-like leadership and the urging toward humble service and the call for unity still all ring true. We still need one another. Our context is different, but the words of the apostle Peter spurred the churches in Asia Minor to rally together, to cling tight to community, to serve one another humbly in the midst of what must have felt like the end of the church. May we be so bold today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you use the things in our lives to mold and shape us, even when we are not paying attention even when we don't recognize it. Thank you for molding and shaping each one of us. Thank you for giving us the best example of a leader, for giving of yourself to us. And thank you for the words of the apostles who cast a vision for what the community of the church can be. Empower us through your mercy and grace so that no matter what we face, we can be the church you have called us to be. Amen.